If you like the work that we produce on this show, support the show and get access to extra content and more at patreon.com backslash Fred Opie show. Live from our studio in Babson Park, Massachusetts, it's the Fred Opie show where we unpack history to positively impact the future. I am Fred Opie, your host. Thanks for joining us live or listening to the podcast. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Fred Opie. Let me introduce today's show, History of Hempstead High School, and the number of phenomenal people who have graduated from that program. So I went to my archive, as a good historian would do, and I looked at the oral histories on people from Hempstead. Alan Lowe, Bill Barossa, Dan Williams, Aaron Jones, Reggie, Terry, all folks who attended Hempstead High School in chronological order. When Alan Lowe attended Hempstead High School, Hempstead was a very diverse community. Two things that happened. Hempstead went into a deindustrialized spiral leading to the decline of the economy. And then Hempstead experienced not only white flight, the best and the brightest of white Americans in that community, they began to leave, but the best of many of the African Americans in the community began to leave. Alan Lowe, 1960s, Bill Barossa, 1970s, from Bill to the 1980s with Aaron Jones and Danny Williams. And then we go to the late 1980s. I taught at Hempstead High School, 1988, 1989 doing a series right now on Instagram on the Black Panther Party and culture using John Gordon's book, The Power of a Positive Team and what he has to say about culture. And one of the things I learned that year at Hempstead High School is that you cannot change culture overnight. If I was to do it again, I would have been a whole lot more positive than I did. I tried to change way too much too fast, learned a lot in the process. And hear from Reggie Terry, who went on to play football at Syracuse. I'm gonna narrate, I'm gonna jump in throughout. And here we go with the documentary on Hempstead, New York. Today, Hempstead is a predominantly lower working class black and Latino community, but it had not always been that way. Hempstead had been a thriving, predominantly white middle and upper class city that thrived on the economic vitality of Mitchell Air Force Base, started in 1918. The town had a nationally recognized high school for its academic and athletic excellence. My older brother was two years older, and when he played football at Hempstead High School, they were loaded. I mean loaded. Alan Lowe is a University of Maryland and National Lacrosse Hall of Famer. He played on Maryland's 1967 National Championship team and captained the 1974 U.S. National Team. They had a great team, and I used to play with a lot of those guys uh, when they were in elementary school. During the basketball season, I would go down to the playgrounds and we'd, you'd play all day. You ate lunch when your team lost, and you know you had to wait to get back on the court. But John Mackey, who played for the Colts, another Syracuse guy, when they played basketball and they, they needed an extra guy, they always picked me from the younger group, and I would play with them. I played quite a bit with them. And you know, when you play with the older guys, you get banged around. You have to learn to defend yourself and play, you know, play up to their level. I think that helped me a lot. That kind of toughened me up from playing with the older kids all the time. The quarterback, and I played cornerback on defense. 
I was on a field all the time. I was on a kickoff team, the punt team, punt return, kickoff return. And I just loved playing. I just loved to compete. I played with a guy in high school, Joe Blocker. Joe Blocker was a terrific, terrific player. You know, Jimmy Brown is probably the best athlete from Long Island. Joe Blocker was the best player that I'd ever seen as a player or a coach. Played football. I think he went to North North Texas State, and then I think he played in the um, Canadian League for a while, and then he, did, he didn't play that much. But I played football with him. And then basketball, I played. I was a point guard in basketball. Say in high school, I played midfield a lot. And when I got tired, I played attack. I, I played the whole game. It was a different era then. It wasn't quite as fast as it is now. That's when you fit, we faced off up in the air. Almost like the girls, but it wasn't like the girls. It was way up in the air. <laughs> I had a lot of moves, different moves, and I couldn't understand what they did on the ground. How can you have so many moves on the ground? My parents wanted me to go to college. We had My brother went for two years, but no, then he stopped going, and they wanted me to graduate. They wanted one of us to graduate. And that was a big thing for them. But I didn't know anything about it. So Robert, Bob Keenan from Hempstead, he started lacrosse. He says, you know, if you get your grades up, maybe you have a chance to get into the Naval Academy. And, you know, I really didn't know where it was. <laughs> you know, I didn't know too much about the different schools. You know, you see them on TV, and, you know, you don't, but you don't really know too much. I never made an official visit to uh, Maryland. You know, recruiting wasn't a big thing when I was in high school. Now they have guys all over. They're in camps. And this and doing that. Uh, the University of Maryland came up to the New York Athletic Club and they invited me in and they talked to me and we got things straightened out and then I went to Maryland. The closing of Mitchell Field in 1961 resulted in a gradual economic decline of the city over the next 30 years. The high school had a successful lacrosse program under Coach Lundy in the 1960s and early 1970s. Hall of Famer Bill Barossa played for Lundy and during his segment, he rattles off an impressive list of Hempstead alum who played collegiate lacrosse. Alum like Rutgers All-American James Ford and Dave Raymond, who played at HBCU Morgan State University in Baltimore. Today, Howard University fields a Division I women's team and Hampton University a Division I men's team. So much for the myth that lacrosse is a white folk sport. I was a young, white, skinny Jewish kid Hall of Famer Bill Barossa. When I graduated high school, it was 85% black, so it was interesting. I was on the opposite side of a lot of minorities. When they go to school, you know, they feel like they're the minority. I was the minority, but you know what? My parents gave me a chance to move to a different school system, and I said, why? I said, I'd rather be here. This is what the real world's like. My sophomore year, I got moved up to varsity, and they had an unbelievable team. As a matter of fact, uh, Chuck Sherwood was uh, a goalie, and he was a senior ended up going to Duke and starting for Duke. On that team, there was there were probably about eight white guys and probably the, the rest African-American, 20. So the majority of the team, you know, was African-American. And by the time I graduated, I literally had maybe six, uh, you know, i say Caucasian white guys on the team and the rest were black. We were pretty damn good. It was an incredible experience to go to school there. But Dave Raymond, he went to Morgan State, became an All-American, played in the North-South game. Great attackman in high school and then in college, and he he got into the Morgan State Hall of Fame. They upset Washington Elliott when WNL was ranked number one in the country. With Dave going there, he recruited Mendoza Wallace, Willie Hunt, probably one or two other guys I can't think of off the top of my head. 
that went to Morgan State that were part of the Brown Bears. There's a great movie and a book about them. Younger guys uh, that played after me, uh, John Sierra played on two national championship teams at Cornell in 1976-77. Incredible athlete, uh, Michael Bigby. Dean Rollins, Dean went to Brown. I think Michael Bigby went to Princeton. But these were incredible athletes that were football players, basketball players, that uh, Hank Lundy, the head coach, turned into lacrosse players. And just without the skills and the youth programs that other communities had, like uh, Manhasset or Port Washington or East Meadow, things like that, we didn't have any youth programs. But he took some incredibly talented athletes and turned them into a great lacrosse program there. Paul Griffin, who was the head coach, uh, played at Maryland, and uh, he's from Baldwin, so the next town over from Hempstead. He was looking for players to bring down to Roanoke, and uh, he came to Hempstead High and said, is anybody interested in coming to Roanoke? Three of us went down there, Gary Dantas, myself, and uh, Dave Carey. Dave ended up starting at midfield as a freshman. I started in the goal by the end of my freshman year. We're going to take a commercial break now, and we'll be right back. Today's show is brought to you in part by TheAthleteBook.com. If your business is looking to hire talented team members, post your openings on TheAthleteBook.com. They host virtual hiring events that connect college, Olympic, and pro athlete to job opportunities. TheAthleteBook.com offers diversity recruiting solutions, personality trait matching to your top employees. CEO Ryan Drummond is a friend, former Division I athlete, and seasoned talent strategists. Theathletebook.com works with small businesses as well as pro sports teams, Amazon, Yelp, JP Morgan Chase, GE, and Under Armour to help them hire the best. Let's return to the show now to unpack more history to positively impact the future. For some unknown reason, the Hempstead Lacrosse Program went defunct. After Lundy, Coach Al Hodish jump-started the program in 1975 and built a strong youth program that fed the high school team. By the 1980s, the high school had a nucleus of talented players such as Aaron Jones and Danny Williams. Other standouts for the Tiger teams in the 1980s included Aaron Cross, who played at Hobart, Brian Duncan, Tim Pratt, and John Williams, who all played at Adelphi University. There are many other names too many to number here, but many of them played in Blossom under Coach Al Hodish. I graduated from high school in 82. Danny Williams. Hempstead High was, uh, when I went there, roughly about uh, 95-97% African-American high school. So there was very little uh, diversity in the school as well as within the athletic program. The athletic program was, you're right, when we went to sporting events, it was all black athletes, and, uh, and everyone knew that. Most of the teams that we actually played on on Long Island were quite opposite. While they had, may have had some diversity, when going to games, you'd have fans that would make racial comments. You'd hear all those type things being called at you while you were the fan. You played on the varsity team. You were sure to have a, uh, a white coach. You know, Don Ryan, who actually worked within the uh, community with the, with the kids while growing up, uh, Hank Lundy, uh, Al Hodish, um, they were all aware of what you were going to face when you went to those games. And they tried to prepare you and talk to you a little bit about it. 
first time going outside the community and being faced with that, it was a bit of a scary, uh, but to me it was a bit of a scary situation. My upbringing was, and also the way the coaches and stuff were trying to tell you, is that you proved your point on the field. At the end of the day, it's the scoreboard and what you what you put out there in the field. Try not to get into a, a fist fight because that wasn't going to that wasn't going to do you any good either because unfortunately you were going to get blamed so if you got into a fist fight 90% of the time we didn't have cameras and stuff with us those days to uh, to catch the video of who actually started what it was going to be assumed that it was the, the black team that came in there that started it whether it was a, a home event and or away event if there was a fight 90% of the time 95% of the time Everyone automatically assumed it was the uh, the black teams that were the ones that, or our team was the one that initiated, and or our fans were the ones that initiated the fight, a fight that may have occurred in the stands as a result of someone saying something. I said 25, 30% of the time, someone may have said something that initiated someone throwing, throwing a fist or whatever, trying to, trying to get at you. But there were, I can, I can also tell you is that there were a lot of stuff that was said on the field. I mean, I played lacrosse, but I, I also played football. For me, it, it occurred more in football than it did with lacrosse. And you, you had large crowds. Same thing. Um, I would say with the larger size events and venues, you had a bigger chance of something occurring. And it probably occurred more there than it did on the lacrosse field. It did rear its head on lacrosse. You know, you'd have you'd have someone that would say something out on the out on the field at you, but the thing that you would try and do is, you know what, you hit them a little harder. I, I played defense. I was usually a little bit bigger, and you you'd whack them a little harder, and you 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 knock them down, and you, when you knock them down, you stood over them, and you say, did you say something? The the way that you get through it is through education. You, you still need to get your education to get yourself to get out of it. Uh, 95, 98 percent black school at Hempstead High was not rated as a, a, a very well-known school for its academic prowess, you know, while uh, while going there. A lot of those really good athletes really didn't go anywhere because they didn't put the time in um, from an educational standpoint. You get a handful that, that actually make it, but there were, there were so many more good athletes that were at our school that could have gone on to do uh, great things. They just didn't perform um, in the classroom. That's the key to how you overcome it. What was the difference for you? Your parents stayed in Hempstead, they raised you in Hempstead, and why did you guys end up having those opportunities while everybody else fell between the cracks? It comes back down to parenting. We were, I'd say, low middle class, but I know it felt like we needed it. But once a year, we would try to do a vacation or try to do something special being able to expose you to some of the opportunities that are out there once a year, it's enough to get you motivated enough that you're going to want it more for yourself and for your kids. You know, he motivated me to say, you know what, I like what I see. The way that I'm going to be able to do it is by, you know, by hard work. The hard work comes in the classroom. The classroom, from an educational standpoint, playing harder field and playing uh, and, and doing what I needed to do uh, academically. You know, I saw that as a way out, uh, you know, starting in eighth grade. 
I knew my parents were going to have a hard time with paying for college. I started focusing on how do, how do I, how am I going to be able to help them help me? You know, you, you, you look for sports, look for your, the sport that was going to, that was going to get you up. Regardless of the school that you go to, even if the academics, they say the academics are bad, there's usually some good team. And I sought out, I sought out the good team. I didn't let them see the eyes, I sought them out. And it, it's about taking charge, taking charge of your own destination. But I also looked for teachers that I knew that cared for students. Sought them out, made sure I ended up in their classes and did well with them. I didn't know I had to take an SAT until halfway through my junior year. It was, you know, I started applying college and said, well, you got to take the SAT, the ACT test. That was the first I heard of it. I went to my guys, I said, what's an SAT? It's not just the academics in class that I got to do. Now I got to take this test to try and figure out, am I going to be able to get in college, you know, with this test? We hadn't been taught in Hempstead how to take SAT. So when I first took the SAT, I want to say 840, 900, somewhere in there. Fine score. The show will be right back. For related content on negotiating the world of school and sports, visit our website at fredopi.com. Check out our podcast archive and review the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. My book, Start With Your Gift, which is my memoir slash career advice. We're making it available during the holiday season for $10. How to send your kid to school debt-free. That's grad school or undergrad. That's the hard copy of the book, Start With Your Gift. Two ways you can order it. You can get it on Amazon.com. The book is available as an audible book and as a digital copy, but the hard copy is available for $10. You can also get it on my website at fredopiespeaks.com. Look for a link to the store and order it there. If you order it there, I'll make sure I sign a copy of it before I send it out to you. It's a great gift. It'll make a difference in somebody's life. You're a parent. Here's what you do. Buy the book. Put $10, $20, $50, whatever you want at the back of the book. Give it to the kid. And the next time the kid comes to you and says, hey, Mom, Dad, I need some money. Just look at him and say, did you read the book? But I need some money. Just say, read the book and leave it at that see what happens it'll make a difference because your kid will now have a game plan for getting the right education know how to get an internship negotiating a job it'll show them how to budget every stupid mistake i've made is in there so they don't have to make it it's a great investment and for ten dollars it's a steal Welcome back to this edition of The Fred Opie Show, unpacking history to positively impact the future. Hempstead, once again, had become a dominant program used to competing at the highest level of lacrosse without regard to region or resume of our opponents, writes Aaron Jones. We played some of the best teams in Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Ottawa, Canada, Maryland, and on Long Island. By the end of my senior year in high school, 1983, guys on the team had earned all league, all county, all Long Island, and invitations to play in the National High School North-South All-Star Game. Many of us went on to play collegiate lacrosse, earned All-American honors, and invitations to play in the college North-South All-Star Game. For me, Hinstead Lacrosse was a springboard to Cornell University and a chance to play for legendary coach and Hall of Famer, 
Richie Moran. We went to Rutgers camp for a number of years, but you have the insulation, the protection, and the comfort of your team surrounding you. Darren Jones. Of kids that you've been with your entire life. Or at that point, you know, we went to Rutgers camp starting in like middle school. So we had been together since we were nine or 10 years old. And we had that insulation, that sort of solidarity to buttress us in that atmosphere of being the only team of color at the entire camp and maybe some scattered few persons of color uh, sprinkled around the camp otherwise. But once I got on the Cornell's campus, I was, the tables were turned. I was by myself. I was the only one. Uh, and uh, it definitely was culture shock for me. And, and uh, also it was culture shock for my teammates. You know, I probably at 18, I was a very arrogant, outspoken, I had these lofty ideals of who I was or what I was as an athlete or a player. And uh, I'm sure I was culture shock for my teammates at the time who probably had never been in that close proximity with an African-American, just like I hadn't been in any close proximity with any majority persons that, at that time in my life. My first semester at Cornell, because of this adjustment that we're talking about, I got a 1-8 wow. and I was on uh, academic probation. You know, one of the things about Hempstead that was profound at that time was, you know, we had a series of great athletes that went on to college, but a good number of them would come back home after their freshman year uh, because they couldn't uh, withstand the academic pressure. And then they would be relegated to working for Parks and Rec or sanitation. Not to insult anybody in that career, but I definitely had more aspirations for myself so i was uh, frightened with that reality and that made me buckle down and just ignore the culture shock and and tend to my books let me take this opportunity to announce that my next book entitled super seven principles to grow win with people and be more creative is about to roll out the super seven principles to grow Win with people and be more creative. This book shares the principles that I have used to transform my life. It's a book that will help you in terms of managing your schedule, communication, dealing with criticism, learning how to give criticism, learning how to organize yourself. There are some tremendous things that I have learned along the way. That's what's in that book. I'm excited for that bad boy to drop and it's going to be happening very soon as an audio book, a Kindle, and a hard copy. So that'll be coming out soon. We'll have some pre-sales set up in the weeks to come. Let's return to the show now to unpack more history to positively impact the future. I arrived at Hempstead in 1988 and served as its varsity lacrosse coach in 1989 something I'm not very proud of because I didn't do a great job. In the late 1980s, Hempstead High School excelled in football and basketball, and many alum had the option to play those sports in college and did so as scholarship athletes, such as Larry Blue, who went on to play defensive end at the University of Iowa as a true freshman, Syracuse University linebacker Reggie Terry, and Temple University linebacker Tim Terry, who went on to play in the NFL and Canadian League for a number of years. 
There's also Northeastern University basketball and football player, standout Lamont Yu. And we can't forget his twin brother, Lenny, who also was an outstanding athlete in both football, basketball, and lacrosse. What was the difference for families like the Terry's? My parents, especially my dad, always emphasized education. Yeah, you know, it's, it was six of us. It was three boys and three girls. Of the six, five got college undergrad degrees. Of the six, three have masters. You know, myself, I'm trying to be like yourself. I need to finish my dissertation. Reggie Terry. So they pushed it, but they always looked at it like this. When I was in elementary school, you know, you wanted to go to the bathroom. It was this block of wood. You know, you had a tall pass. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes a hall pass it had, a, had a chain on it with the key to the bathroom or sometimes just a block of wood. So if you had that block of wood and the hall monitor was like, where you going? You know, you, you had your, I got my pass. You know, okay, you can go. So a degree to me is your hall pass. It gives you access. Now, uh, what I tell kids all the time now, even though you get this degree, that doesn't mean that you're going to be in that field. I mean, but what, what that allows you to do, I think it trains you. The academic training trains you how to solve problems, to work with other people, to process information. Because when you get on these jobs, these young people in some of the danger of technology don't know how to interact, can't speak, don't know how to write, can't communicate. In my household is the mantra, hey, listen, you know, you need to, you're you going to do something. You, need, you better get that hall pass. Yeah, you get a hall pass. <laughs> and if that hall pass is going to be a carpenter, go get that certificate and, and go work for whatever union and, and, and get going. But we've pushed the, the degree in education because it just gives you access to so much more. However, if you don't have that, but you have a, a talent or you're invested yourself in a different way, it materializes in a different manner. Not a degree, but a certificate or a trade school mm -hmm. or do you know, have Adam and college degrees give you access to more. But if that more stuff is not what you want to do and you have a better idea of what you want that to be, then then migrate down towards that towards that path. I think the scary thing for us parents is, is that, okay, some kids say, hey, I'm going to college and I'm doing this and I come out with all these loans and I can't get a job. Now yeah. what? Yeah. You know, that's that's a problem throughout yeah. America. The way the system's set up, you know, you go to these wonderful institutions, these tremendous degrees. The process of it is, is you're qualifying yourself, you're educating yourself, you're exposing yourself. How do I take this information and this stuff that I'm doing, how do I make it practical that they can help me? You can go to some of the finest institutions in America and still not have the success that you thought you would because, you know, who you are as a person. I think you bring those degrees and those things to life, not the other way around. Because I went to this and that school, you got to give me a job. I think because who you are gets you the job. Yeah. But the, the, the degree gives you the access. We should not forget Syracuse University and NFL wide receiver Rob Moore, who was a midfielder at Hempstead High School his sophomore and junior year before he turned to track his senior year. All these guys played youth and high school lacrosse because of the recruiting effort and passion for the game of Al Hodish, the man with a hatchback full of lacrosse sticks and a vision for greatness for the youth of Hempstead. My first organized sport was in fifth grade and I played lacrosse. What was good about it was just the competes and just understanding how to work within the team and to compete against other kids and it was okay. The thing that I never forgot, and it's a simple drill, you know, with kids, it was a ground ball drill. You got two kids, you roll the ground out, go get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the fact that I got the ball, I did it. It built upon that. I started to, to kind of crave it, but that's what happened for me. You know, uh, fifth grade, I saw that and I said, I, whatever it took, I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to play and I, and I wanted I wanted to be good. I worked at it. 
when I look back on my high school experience, I just wish I could, you know, you want to recreate that because we had this singleness of purpose where there was total buy in by everybody and you expected to win and winning and winning over time from seventh grade to my senior year. Uh, I lost two games in six years. The recipe, we, we had tremendous talent, but the, 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 but the talent still had to be cultivated and had to be developed. So there was a, a culture established by men, men like Don Ryan, Biddy Basketball, that he, programs that he had that fed the middle school and the high school programs where kids at that level started and won national championships in Biddy Basketball going back to the 70s. Kids started to salivate and to expect it. The basketball piece turned with that and, and we were very successful in basketball and football uh, with Buddy Krumanak as he was the head coach and what he established when he came, they, we, they were terrible. Came in and established the program and, uh, and, and an expectation and that talent was cultivated and developed and it moved forward. So I think you have to have an approach, you have to have a philosophy of of your goals and the expectations in these programs and then the people because you can have you have great teams today that don't win I mean if that if it was that easy you know from a professional standpoint you can go out and buy players and free agency and get to you know have fantasy football fantasy basketball and mm -hmm. you should win but it doesn't work that way you gotta be a team if you like women's basketball or not but when you watch what the University of Connecticut has done to be able to do that at that high level at, at, at for so long it's mind-numbing everybody can get good players but the culture and the expectation and what they've developed uh, is impressive. A common habit of wanting to win and doing the things necessary to win. It's one thing to want to win, but are you committed to doing the things to win? So do mm. your actions align with what you say mm -hmm. that you are? I want to say the intangibles of uh, being committed and, and working hard and uh, having high character, you know, doing the right things right, you know, and, and doing the right things right when nobody's looking, you know, I mm -hmm. mean, uh, not because, you know, I was told to do it, because, but you're doing it because it's the right thing to do. With right. the work ethic piece, I go off to Syracuse and I come back home and he's saying, yeah, I want to play. I want to go to the NBA and do this. All right, man, I say, listen, let's go out and work out, you know, let's go out for a run. He's right. a sophomore in high school. So I come home and uh, we go to a trail. So I said, all right, man, you ready? He said, yeah, you know, I'm ready. So we get out there and we're running. It was basically like a three and a half mile course, you know, nothing too heavy, but but it had uh, peaks and valleys and mountains. Had some Walter Payton hills. Yeah, yeah, it had, had some hills. So we get out there and he running with me. He started to slow down. So come on, man, you know, you got to push it through now. So he's hurting. He's laboring. I remember it, but he tells the story much better than I. So he, he says, I turn around to him. So listen, man, you're not ready yet. You're not committed. And I leave him. I'm going to get my run in. So I left him and then I passed him on the way back. So Tim, he would go and he would, he tells my kids, he says, man, listen, to this day, he says, he said, what I learned that day was what I thought I wanted to do and what I was committed to were, were yeah. two different things. He would say it changed when he realized that, hey, I want to do what my brother's doing and I can't even finish this little run. He, he was always talented, but then he said, well, listen, maybe I need to, to lift weights a little bit. Well, maybe... Brad, what are you guys doing at Syracuse? I want to come to football camp. Can I come up? So whenever I was home, we worked out together. The other thing, and he will tell you this as well, he used to say I was rough on him. My brother was a lacrosse goalie. The first I remember. He was he was a goalie. And he was playing on the, the teams when um, 
with them. It's a whole issue in those teams. On his games on Sunday afternoons, I would take him out and I would warm him up. I said, Reds, man, you should try to kill me. I said, no, man, I was just trying to get you ready to play. Those things, and, and you have no idea as a sibling or even with people that you work with, the impact that you have on their lives. And you're just trying to do what you think is best and pushing them and wanting the best from them. But he would say those experiences really helped cultivate and build and develop what he, you know, what he wanted to become as an athlete. I think it's critically important, not just for athletes, but all students when they get to school to experience it, to to ask questions, to get out of your box. I mean, I mean, I knew what Hempstead was, but it, it took me to it took me to go away to college to kind of understand uh, what Long Island was as it related to the, the subculture was Long Island. I was totally oblivious to. And going to a predominantly uh, African-American high school, I was a totally oblivious to several subcultures that had no idea of uh, that, that that existed. You know, learning about just all of these subcultures, I mean, uh, different ethnic groups uh, and ethnicities and religions. So it was, you know, it was interesting. People of color uh, aren't necessarily as well represented and that, what that interaction is. It is interesting. That's the beauty about athletics, though, because as a team, you're there. And the common goal is to win and football. And you learn of each other. You learn of other backgrounds. You learn of other people. We can't force feed it, but you have to give the opportunity to. You don't have to be in a group with only the teammates, people that you know who might be in that class. Or uh, if there's some things on campus, seminar, somebody speaking, go and, and, and expand, stretch. But it's just getting out of your comfort zone. That's it for this edition of The Fred Opie Show. Thank you for joining us. Check out the show archive at fredopiespeaks.com, as well as our books and other content. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our show notes where you'll find a way to subscribe to our podcast, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. You'll find links to books discussed on the show, links to our YouTube channel where you can watch the show, if you want to know more about what I'm doing, go to fredopi.com, which is my website. You can see information on the books I've published. There are two blogs that I host there, both a food and an athlete's blog, and there's both a food and an athlete's podcast. The whole archive to both those two podcasts are there. At the bottom of the podcast page, I have links to interviews that I have listened to on other people's podcasts that I would recommend to you. 